The book of Ruth, where we'll be tonight, begins with in the days when the judges ruled and ends with the birth of David. So in the days that the judges ruled, we've had a little bit of dose of what that time was like. Moses and Joshua were gone some 390 years without centralized leadership. You had leaders popping up here and there, but, but not over the whole nation. And the refrain of the book was, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You saw the cycle of idolatry and oppression from foreign nations, which was the judgment of God on them, and then repentance and then deliverance where God used to judge. And we saw just some of the hard hard, disturbing things, tragic things that happened in those days, and we didn't even get to the end of the book. Some really, I mean, like, we don't even like to think about the kinds of things that happened. Things were so out of whack. It truly was what we might consider the dark ages of Israel. And so, when the author of the book of Ruth writes, he's looking back to those dark ages of Israel, but he's doing so from the vantage point of the early reign of King David. And we know that because of the genealogy that's right at the end that talks about uh, the birth of David. The patriarch Jacob back in Egypt had prophesied in Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And that could be translated until he comes to whom it belongs. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, it had been a long, long time, and there had never been a king from Judah until David. David was the beginning, the first in the line of the Judean kings, and Jesus Christ would be the last. So, this little book tells us how God moved in steadfast love for Israel to bring about the beginning of that dynasty, to bring about what could be called the golden age of Israel, not as great as what will come under the Messiah Jesus, but the golden age of Israel right out of the dark ages of the time of the judges. From the brief genealogy at the end of the little book, the events recorded in Ruth seem to have occurred in the 1100s B.C., possibly during the reign of the 40-year judgeship of Gideon. Now, I want you to think about the contrast between the horrific days of the judges and the glory days of David's early reign, which one day will culminate in the greatest king ever ruling over a perfect world and eternal kingdom, Jesus Christ, the son of David. It truly was that after darkness there will be light. But the question is, why? Or maybe better, how? How how did this happen? How is this destiny even possible? And God's going to show us in this story of Ruth, of a family who lived in the dark days, but who set the stage for the golden age. And their story parallels the story of the nation of Israel, and ultimately the story of the entire world, pointing us to our own reason for hope, despite however dark our days, the steadfast love of God.
is why we have hope. We're going to see in Ruth 1 the steadfast love in devastation. Devastation. And then steadfast love in provision in Ruth 2. And then in Ruth 3 and 4, steadfast love in redemption. So let's consider, and a lot of this will be review. You know the story of Ruth. It's a short book. You could go home this evening and read through the whole thing in just a few minutes. Um, We're going to read parts of it. Steadfast love in devastation. Um, The days of the judges were rough, and this family that we learn about is going through a devastating time. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Okay, so there's not enough crops, not enough food to eat. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So sojourn means you're going to stay there for a short time. You're like a refugee. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived about there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, that's about as devastating as you can imagine, to lose your spouse and both of your sons in the space of 10 years, and, and you're left. Now, she encouraged Orpah and Ruth to go back to their people. Orpah did, but Ruth responded this way. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. You often hear Ruth's words repeated in a wedding ceremony, because they are words of just beautiful, steadfast love. I'm never, ever going to quit on you. I'm going to stick close to you your whole life, my whole life. So, in Ruth 1.19, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. So, they went back. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And, women, and the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter, for instead of Naomi means pleasant, Mara means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You can imagine that you, you very likely could see in Naomi's face and even the way that she walked and just how the, how the years and the grief had worn her down. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me. I mean, she understood that God is sovereign, but for her, God's sovereign and His providence was a dark thing and a difficult thing and a hard thing, a bitter thing. So, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, and she returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Even in this chapter of devastation, there are hints of hope. 
And the first is Ruth's steadfast love for Naomi. Though Ruth is from the Moabite people, at times enemies of Israel, and descended from Lot's incest with one of his daughters, she is a bright spot and a turning point as God will show His steadfast love to Naomi through Ruth. And God's going to show His steadfast love to Ruth through Boaz. And God's going to show His steadfast love to all Israel through the children that come from the union of Ruth and Boaz. And then the second thing that gives us a hint of hope is the reference to Bethlehem. We saw it right at the beginning of the chapter. We saw it more than once toward the end of the chapter. That is full of significance. I mean, when we hear the word Bethlehem, we immediately think of, oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? We immediately think of Christmas. Now, they weren't thinking of Christmas. In, in Ruth's day, Bethlehem was a place of pain, but we know that it would become a place of promise and it would become a place of joy. Christmas joy. In Ruth's day, Bethlehem was known as the place where Rachel died in childbirth. But in the days of King David, when this little book was written, it was better known as the birthplace of King David, descended from Boaz and Ruth. Later, Jeremiah talks about Rachel weeping for her children as he describes families broken up to be carted off to Babylon as captives. But according to Micah 5.2, the prophet, it would also be the birthplace of the Messiah. Even there, there would be pain mixed in. Herod the king would slaughter the infants, trying to kill the newborn Messiah. But Jesus, having been born there, would escape for a time to Egypt. So, so Bethlehem, Bethlehem is this place of both pain and beauty of pain and, and promise and joy, all rolled in one because of God's steadfast love. And then finally, there's this hint of good things to come when it says it was barley harvest. It suggests that there is provision for this destitute family that's coming. Bethlehem ironically means house of bread. So, there is steadfast love demonstrated even during this time of devastation, and then we see it develop into steadfast love through provision in Ruth chapter 2. In verses 2 and 3, two and three of chapter 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. This is what was uh, provided for the poor of the land. You could go at harvest time, and anything you found that the harvesters had left on the ground, you could harvest. And in fact, um, they were forbidden even to harvest the corners of the field so that there would be enough food for those that were poor. And that way, the poor could work for the food that they needed, but there was food for them to work for. So she set out she said to her, go, my daughter. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come, literally her chance chanced, to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So the, here she goes to look for a field, and she finds the field, a field that belongs to a relative of her father-in-law. 
And that's going to be significant in terms of kinsman redeemer. In verses 8 and 9 of Ruth 2, we read, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not I charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He goes on in verses 11 and 12, Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she went back to Naomi with, with more than anybody would ever expect to glean from a day of gleaning because God provided for her. She had shown steadfast love in a time of devastation to Naomi, and God was showing steadfast love to her through the provision he provided through Boaz. And then third, we see steadfast love and redemption in Ruth 3 and 4. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with, whom, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Now, when you read what Naomi's telling her daughter-in-law to do, what word would you use to describe what she's asking? The, the word I thought of was Weird. And maybe the second word is risky. And this could really, this, this is, this could cause a big problem. You know what word I think that, that Ruth was probably thinking? Weird. <laughs> but she wasn't with her own people, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to do what my mother-in-law asked me to do. I'm, I'm in a foreign land. All that you say, I will do. And, and of course, all this was because her chance had chanced to actually come upon the fields of Boaz. Of course, we know who governs chance and circumstance. God does. Well, in verse 10, after she had done what Naomi had told her to do, and Boaz wakes up and there's this woman at, at his feet, and he learns that it's Ruth, and she explains why. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So her actions were saying, will you marry me? 
Will you take me as your wife? And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer. Redeemer means to, to buy something back from the marketplace. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, as I'm thinking about how Boaz constructed this, and as you read, start reading in chapter 4, I'm pretty certain that he did not bring Ruth with him. She, he, the other guy didn't get to see what she looked like or anything. Um, I think he probably hedged his bets. He even didn't tell her about, didn't tell him about Ruth at first, just told him about the property, and then sprung Ruth on him at the last moment, Ruth the Moabitess, and that sealed deal. We read in chapter 4, verse 9, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, the guy said, I can't do it. I can't ruin my own inheritance. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon, and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. This is called a leveret marriage that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. See, the gate was where town business was conducted. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So we read, so Boaz took Ruth, verse 13, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in love who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. From David would come the ultimate Redeemer who displayed the steadfast love of God for us, Jesus Christ. Steadfast love and devastation, steadfast love and provision, steadfast love and redemption. The steadfast love of God fills the pages of Scripture and brings hope into the lives of those who find refuge in Him. In fact, I would want to argue that, that, it's, that it is really the dominant characteristic of God that we see in the Scriptures. We see it in the character of Ruth and in, our life, in the life story of Ruth as God blessed the entire nation of Israel and ultimately the entire world through His display of steadfast love. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, even if they're sufferings like the days of the judges, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The story of Ruth is a story of steadfast love on display. And you could argue it's a story of the very theme of the book of the Bible, the library of books called the Bible that presents to us the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and the beauty of it. God, this is, this is a story full of pain, but it's a story with such beauty to it because of the steadfast love that we see displayed. God, whatever painful circumstances we might be facing, whatever people we encounter who are suffering, God, may we display toward them your steadfast love even as we hang our very souls on your steadfast love toward us displayed in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, that when we were doing what was only right in our own eyes, you did not forsake us, but that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, God, may we trust in you. May we trust in your goodness and in your steadfast love that you've displayed in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray.